Well, I hope your hearts are uplifted and uh, that you are getting into the truth that we are celebrating today. And I want to bring some uh, scriptures to bear upon that for us. I'd like to ask you a question. When was the last time that you experienced wonder? When was the last time that you experienced wonder? If you wonder what that looks like, I would suggest going to the zoo. If you've been to the zoo, then you know that this is a very popular place for kids to go. Kids love the zoo. I think for obvious reasons, all of their life uh, thus far, uh, they have been looking at books and their parents would point at this particular animal and they would go, moo. And they would point at a different animal and they would go, rawr. And another animal and they would say, meow. Like that, right? They've been doing that all the time. Then they go to the zoo. And the animals that heretofore had been two-dimensional on the page now are three-dimensional. Big. And the kids at the zoo, this is like just wonder overload for them. Because you know the look on their faces. They're there and they're just like, right? They get that big wide eye like that. And there is in them this struggle because everything in them wants to go up to the animal and touch it, right? But at the same time, they want to run behind mom's leg and hide. They have this, this, this tension between wanting to draw near and wanting to run away. They are experiencing what this Latin phrase uh, is describing. This is a theological phrase. Uh, I'll just say it for fun. I never studied Latin. And if you did and I'm saying it wrong, I apologize. But this is what I think it's how it's said. Mysterium tremendum et fashionans. Or fashionans, if you're from the South. Uh Now, this is what this means. It means fearful and fascinating mystery. Fearful and fascinating mystery. When you are overwhelmed by an experience and you desire by it to draw near, and at the same time, you are filled with a kind of terror that wants to run away. You want to draw near, you want to, you want to run away. You want it, you fear it. It's wow, whoa. That tension, that's mysterium tremendum. We just got done uh, singing, being led by our, uh, our worship facilitators here today, which we are so thankful for. We just got done singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And uh, that word Emmanuel is a very important word in the Bible. It's uh, Hebrew and it means God with us or God among us. And so the song uh, is basically saying, you know, God come near us. God draw near. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Or in the way that we typically sing it, their version was a little bit different. Uh, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. La, 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 la. I forgot the words first service too, but the point is the Emmanuel. And here's what I want to say. I really doubt that any of us would want that 
prayer to be answered. Or few of us would. What would happen if God ever actually answered the prayer and just showed up here? There he is. Do you think that we would be all, God is here, all right. I don't think so. Because every time God shows up in the scriptures, we're terrified by it. Terrified. Scares us. The glory of God. There's terror and wonder. There's mysterium tremendum. In other words, we would be just like the Bible people. You know, the Bible people didn't know that they're Bible people. They were just living their lives, just like you and I do, trying to get food on the table, working hard to uh, make ends meet, uh, going into that day or night, just like any other day or night. But there was one night when this routine was dramatically invaded by something that here now, 2,000 years later, we are celebrating today. The Christ coming. And I want us to realize that uh, it was anything but a silent night. All was not calm. Not to ruin another sacred song for you, but uh, we, will, we love Silent Night. We'll sing it with Christmas Eve services. It's all good. But Rick recognized that this sort of placid, calm, everything sort of understood and organized is completely the opposite of the way that it was that Christmas night. No way. I think for many of us, we sort of have this mindset. We've domesticated Christmas to the degree that where we sort of think we got it figured out. And uh, we've, we've, we've put it in a box or we have it in a nice little figurine set that we have on our mantle. And, and we look at that and it's so, it's so nice. And there's the shepherds and there's the little manger and the baby Jesus. It's all just, oh, it's so cute. Isn't it cute? Which nobody that was there in that moment would have been thinking that. It was a wild night. It was a night filled with wonder and shock and terror and joy and all of that. There was mysterium tremendum going on. And I want us to just try to capture a little bit of that wonder here in our time in God's Word together. Most of you know uh, the story well. Uh, This is the problem. Try not to know it so well and you might end up knowing it better. Luke 2. This summer, as a church family, we went through the Gospel of Luke, our journey with Jesus. We did not deal with the birth narratives, um, but we are going to talk about them a little bit today. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, here's what, here's what happens. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Okay, we have nothing surprising now. This is what shepherds did. They watched their flock by night. Just a normal night. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. I don't think in that moment they were necessarily wanting to say, uh, sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. They are in shock. They are in terror. They suddenly see on this dark night, The visible expression of the worth of God. This is what the glory of God is. Whenever God decides to display how wonderful, how worthy 
how glorious his character is. He does it. This is how God decides to do it. He does it with glory light. A kind of resplendent display of light. That anybody who sees it in scriptures is terrified at the sight. Even Moses and Isaiah and Peter, James, and John, and then John in Revelation when he sees Christ, the risen Christ, he sees this glory. They, they, they're not like, hey, they are on their faces in terror at the sight of the glory of God. Which is true, of course, for these shepherds. They are filled with fear. That's one thing you don't see in your typical nativity set, do you? Shepherds that look like they just wet their pants. If you ever see it, that's the most accurate nativity set that you that, buy it. That's get, they got it right. There was terror in their hearts at the, at the sight of it. God with us, Emmanuel. This is a terrifying thing for a reason. Because we are sinners and God is not. He is holy and we are not. And when God displays his glory, we feel spiritually the gap between who he is and who we are. And that gap, that weight, which is glory actually means weight, that weight we feel down upon us is terrifying to us. It is mysterium tremendum. And this is what the shepherds who are just there, you know, they're sitting around the fire, they're, they're telling old sheep stories or whatever they're doing, and all of a sudden, here is the glory of God, just out of nowhere, fills the sky, and they are terrified at the sight. Here's what the angel says to them, verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Very first missionary ever, the angel on Christmas night. Here he is telling them for the very first time the exciting news that no man had heard up to this point. That there was a Christ, there was a Savior who had been born. And what this angel has to say is something that every human heart longs for. If you were honest with yourself in a quiet moment, what he has to say is what your heart longs for. We want to know, don't we? When we get past all of the frivolity and the, and the hustle and bustle of a day, we want, to, we want to know the answer to the big questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? What happens to me when I die? What is the meaning of all of this? All humans always have asked that question, and all the religions of the world try to answer that question and that longing, that longing to connect with something transcendent to ourselves. The religions of the world do this by trying to help men draw near to God. And what this angel shows up to say is this, I got really good news for you. You can't draw near to God, but here is the news. God has drawn near to you. And oh, by the way, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes right over there. You might want to go check it out. Great news. By the way, you need to know three things about this child. He's different than any other child that has ever been born or ever will be born. He is three things. He is Savior, 
Christ and Lord. Just want to talk about those three things the angel says about this child. Let's take them in reverse order, though. Lord. First of all, Lord. This is a word we're familiar with. You may have a land Lord. Uh, we put Lord on warlord or something like that. And what does Lord mean? It means authority. To be a Lord, you have authority or responsibility over some things. Some, you have a reign or a, a context within which you are expressing that authority. If you have that, you then are a Lord. The Bible goes on to say about this child something that the angel does not say, and that is this, that this child is not just a Lord, but is the Lord of lords. Did you get that? Because the world's filled with lords. I mean, right now we got people that are, you know, exercising authority. We've got politicians and we've got police and we've got uh, owners of businesses. And, and, and if you own a home, you've got your little, your little castle and your little kingdom there on that quarter acre, you know, and you're the, I'm the king of the, you've got authority over that. There are all kinds of levels of lordship and authority in this world right now. But this child is, is remarkable. This child is Lord of lords. He is the supreme commander. He is, he is the authority that is above all authorities. An infant though, all of that baby. And I've never known a baby to exercise authority over anything or responsibility over anything. There is no authority. There is no responsibility in an infant child. But this child, in the moment he is born, is Lord of Lords, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Wow. What, like, what's it take to get wonder in our hearts if that doesn't create some sense of, like, whoa? Amazing. He is the Son of God. This is where his authority comes from. Speaks to his deity. Secondly, he is Christ. And Christ is not a name. People say Jesus Christ. They think maybe it's his last name or something. It's not a name. It is, it is a title. And Christ is a, is, a, is a title that is filled with Old Testament uh, significance because uh, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and through uh, the, the, the kings over Israel and the prophets of the Old Testament, there is this regular theme. God promises to Israel that there is going to come one who is going to come and is going to save them. He will be from the throne of David. All these prophecies that are made about one who is going to come to save his people. Well, we come to find out in the New Testament that, that this Christ is not coming simply to save the Jews, but that he is coming to save the Jews and the Gentiles, which means that he is coming to save everyone, which is good news for the someones in this room today. Because if you are a someone, then you are a part of the everyone that he came to save, which is a good thing. Praise the Lord for that. We also come to find out in Isaiah 53 and other passages that this Christ who is going to come uh, is coming as a suffering servant. He's entering into, listen, he's entering into this world and entering into the human condition. 
the sorrows and the sufferings that we experience, this Messiah was going to come. He was going to be acquainted with grief. In other words, he just doesn't come down on the clouds and sort of, uh, you know, uh, exercise some sort of utopic authority over the world. He becomes one of us and knows what it's like to be human and to suffer all the things that we went through this week. Christ knows and understands. He is human. So we see in his lordship, his deity, we see in his Christhood, his humanity. He is one of us. And then thirdly, it says that he is Savior. Now, the angel doesn't tell us this, but the the story goes on, and we come to find out that this child is given the name that the angel told Joseph to name him, Jesus. Do you know what Jesus means? Like some of you may may know what your name means. My name's Stephen. It means crowned one. Wouldn't that be a great name to name your kid? I've been lobbying for that for like 11 years now at Bethel, and it's not happened yet. But uh, good name. Whatever your name is, you may know it. You've got, you know, your grandma gave it to you, uh, some little plaque that's got your little name and what it means, and it's on the wall. She loves looking at it because she thinks of you because your name represents who you are. Jesus means Savior. Think of that. All his life. As people greeted him and said hello and said his name, Savior. Hey, Savior, how you doing? Hi, Savior. And don't you wonder if Jesus along the way didn't just think to himself, if only you knew. If only you knew. And of course, the obvious question is, uh, saving who from what? If I said, hey, there's a Savior waiting at home for you, you'd say, okay, well, what is he saving me from? And why do I need a Savior? And let's ask that question. Who is this Savior? This angel has said he's a Savior. Who is he saving from what? And the answer to that and the testimony of the Bible is that he came to save sinners from God. He came to save sinners from God. Specifically, he came to save people like you and me from the just punishment that a holy God is required by his justice to impart upon people that have rebelled against him. In other words, sinners like us. We need to be saved from the wrath of God. How can this happen? What can we do? How can we somehow get righteous again so that God's justice would not require punishment eternal punishment and eternal death and this is how christ is savior he came into this world and he he was born and his birth didn't save us it was the greatest day in human history up to that point but it it didn't save us this child becomes a man and this man lives a perfect moral life and he dies on the cross which god the father through the scriptures says he died in our place He died to give up something to us so that we can live. And the thing that we need is we need righteousness. Sinners need righteousness to be saved from the wrath of God. And we can't get it on our own. We got to get it from somewhere. And this is what Christ provides in his death on the cross for us. This week I was told a story in our church that I think 
summarizes this uh, and illustrates it very well. We have a, a family in our church, uh, Todd and Don Costner, and they live uh, near Lowell, and good people live near Lowell, don't you think? And all the Lowell people said? Okay, Lowell needs to work on that a little bit. You have good football teams. We'll give you that there in Lowell. But anyway, so we have this couple, the Costners, that live near Lowell. And in their neighborhood, they were getting to know their neighbors and all of that. And one of their neighbors, uh, his name, her name is Brenda. And Dawn invited Brenda to a, one of our women's Bible studies. And so they were attending this women's, women's Bible study. Well, one week, uh, Brenda is not there. And Dawn asks for prayer for Brenda. And in, in this shares that Brenda is very ill and is in desperate need of a liver transplant. Right away, one of the women in the study says, she can have mine. And what? And so... I think Dawn knew a little bit about it and said, what's your blood type and all of this? Well, didn't match. Didn't match, so that wasn't going to work. Well, uh, Dawn goes home and is talking to her husband and says, you know, in the Bible study today, a most remarkable thing happened. We shared about Brenda and her need for a liver, and a woman in the study said immediately that she could have hers. And, uh, but it's not a blood match, and so it won't work. Well, Todd, her husband, says... What kind of blood does she have? And I think it's O blood. And he goes, that's mine. She can have mine. Side note, Bethel's a great place to go if you need a liver. Okay, just a, <laughs> really is. So Todd offers his liver, and they do some little quick, they do some study, blood test, whatever it is, and Todd is a perfect match for the neighbor, Brenda, and this coming January, late January, early February, there's going to be some kind of procedure, and I don't know exactly how this works, but they're going to take liver out of Todd and put it into Brenda, and that liver will save her life. And so that's a great thing. They were actually here in first service, and I was talking to them over there, and this is a very emotional thing for them. And so there's just some really neat kind of Christianity thing going on there with those, uh, with those families. But this is a picture, to me, of what this whole thing is all about. Todd is giving his liver so Brenda can live. What did Jesus do in coming? He came and he died on the cross. He, he's giving up his righteousness as the son of God. He is giving it up so that now people that desperately need righteousness can have a kind of transplant where that righteousness is brought into their moral account so that now God the Father can look down and say, oh, look, you've got, you, you, you're righteous. You're as righteous as my son. In fact, I see my son's righteousness there. Christ has made this possible and he has made it available through his work on the cross, dying in our place. And the offer, this is the message of the gospel, the offer is, is that whoever will believe, repent of their sins and believe in Christ, 
what the angel said, that he is, he is Lord, Christ, and Savior, that God will do this. He will save us and will give to us eternal life. And this is what makes this whole Jesus coming in order to accomplish this such an amazing and wonderful thing. This is what we're celebrating, that Christ has come and that there is salvation that is available. And this begs me to ask the question today, have you done this? Is your faith and trust truly in Christ? Are you... Are, are, are you following him? Is, is he your Lord? Is he your Savior, your Christ? Because the gospel has always required a response. Just like those shepherds. The angel could have said, hey, you need to know that there's this baby, he's Savior Christ and Lord, and he's right over there wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they could have sat there and said, well, that's very interesting, and we'll need to think about that. No. What do they do? Immediately, they go. They act in faith upon the message that the angel has said, and they go and they see the Christ child. And in the same way today, friends, listen, you must respond. Hearing about it, knowing about it, does not do the transplant. It is believing in it and giving yourself your trust to the message that allows the transplant to take place. Have you done this? We want, we want to encourage you to do this. You could do it right now. You can believe in your chair right now and settle this matter. Put your faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, do the shepherds uh, comprehend all of this? Of course, the answer is no. They're still grappling with this whole mysterium tremendum thing. Uh, but this is what happens. In verse 15, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, that the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered, once you see that word, at what the shepherds told them. That little word there, wondered, is one of the God, Luke's favorite words. You run into it again and again as you read through the Gospel of Luke. People that are, it can be translated this way, marvel, astonished, it, uh, it, uh, bewildered maybe even. That, that sense of, <sighs> that's what the word means. And this is what the people who hear what the, the angels and light and all that, he's Savior Christ and Lord, they're like, <gasps> What? In this? Oh. Here's some other examples in Luke. Chapter 1. There, are, there, is, there is bewilderment and astonishment around the events surrounding John the Baptist. And you can read that on your own. Chapter 2. The angels arrive and, uh, and share their news. And the shepherds are just in, in bewilderment at the news. Chapter 2, verse 33. At his temple dedication, Simeon shares this kind of prophecy. And his parents are just like marveling at it. Chapter 4, verse 22 and eight twenty-five, Jesus, now a man, begins to teach. And people are like, we have never heard anything like this before. There was a power to his teaching. And the people were bewildered. Here's a good one. They're out in the, in the Sea of Galilee and the waves and the storm and all of that. And Jesus says, 
stop. And the disciples are like, whoa, wow. The crowds marveled at everything he was doing. He cast a demon out of the boy and people are like, whoa, we've not seen this before. The religious leaders are shocked by the character of his life. Chapter 11, chapter 20, his enemies are in amazement at the wisdom that he displays in his teaching. Chapter 24, verse 12, Peter runs to the empty tomb on on Easter morning, on Resurrection Sunday, and he looks in and he's just bewildered by seeing the fact that Jesus isn't there. And then finally, and this is maybe my favorite one, we talked about this this summer, when the disciples are there in the upper room, and uh, this is again that same Easter day, and the doors are locked, uh, closed and locked, and they're there, and they're talking about this and talking about that, and then all of a sudden, there's Jesus. And they're all like, Mysterium, tremendum, awe. Jesus' life is astonishing even to this day. I mean, who else do you know that, that the whole world is singing songs to and about once a year? I don't know anybody else. But Christ, millions singing about him. And we should. He is Savior Christ and Lord. He is all that we truly long for. And my dear friend, I just want to say that again. In a quiet moment, away from the hustle and bustle, if you were to stop and to think about the questions and the longings of your heart, does not a Savior, Christ, and Lord who came for you, God drawing near to you, does that not answer that something inside your heart that is longing to connect with the transcendent? Is this not what you are longing for? I would suggest to you that it is. That this is the one, this is the, this is the thing that your heart and your longings are leading you to. Think of it. All that we want. All that we want. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's, it really is amazing, isn't it? To think about it. J.I. Packer says this. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. Unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises. Needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. Amen. Amen it is. Mysterium tremendum. Fear and fascination. Wonder and joy. This is why we sing. This is why we celebrate. You know, I, I heard a guy talking this week on the radio. And he said, he says, you know, Christianity is a, is, has always been a singing faith. The other religions of the world, they don't, they don't do music like Christianity does. They, 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 their songs are sort of grunts and you know, chants or something like that. But Christianity has always just been, always produced beautiful music. And here's why. When you put joy, true joy in the human heart, it comes out and it's beautiful. That beautiful joy comes out as beautiful expression. And we love it, don't we? We love it because it reminds us of the one who put the joy there in the first place, who is Christ, the Lord. May he be glorified and may we keep singing. Amen.